This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 28. It's Luke's version of the wonderful story when our Lord was transfigured and changed on the Mount of Transfiguration before his disciples. So I'm picking it up at verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Shall we pray? Father, Peter and James and John had the privilege of seeing a vision not only of the resurrected Christ, but of the glory that is his as he has returned to his his starting place, to the right hand of the Father on high. Lord, we take that glimpse of heaven. We take it to heart and we look forward to that day when we will see the Savior and all of the sadness and the tragedy and the hurt of this life will be cast away. Lord, we count it a privilege to be your children, to serve you, to be on the receiving end of your grace and your forgiveness and kindness of knowing that our sins are atoned for, that we have been made new creatures in in Christ, and we have waiting for us our heavenly home. And so, Lord, we can give encouragement and confidence to those who are hurting today especially as we think of Kathy LeBeau and the loss of her husband, David, and as we will celebrate David's life on Friday. Lord, we pray in advance that the things that we will say will remind us of the preciousness of every day that you give us, the opportunity that you give us to be your servants, to use the gifts that have been given to us and to serve you while we can. We know, Lord, the way for David in these last several years has been very, very 
traumatic and difficult, and it is so, so difficult to see him declining, and yet we rejoice in the promise of everlasting life, of the hope of changed bodies and minds, and we thank you, Lord, that our friend, our loved one, is with you. We also lift up uh, Roger Fisher's family as he has told us that uh, uh, they are all down with COVID and in some cases the way is difficult and uh, there is uncertainty in the days to come. Lord, may your healing hand would be upon that family and restore them to health and strength. Father, we thank you for this time of the year, Thanksgiving and eventually Christmas when we can celebrate the Savior's birth all of these uh, opportunities that are before us to draw our attention on a great, your, our great God. We thank you for the give and go ministry. For many years, our, our youth have been able to reach out uh, to our surrounding communities and folks in our church who are in need with gifts and with love and with presents for the children. We just pray you would touch the hearts of our people here uh, to think of those people who should be on the receiving end of this ministry and then to give uh, generously so that that ministry can flourish. Lord, we do this not to draw attention to ourselves, but simply out of love for Christ and, and the, op the opportunity and the privilege to show mercy and grace and love. Now, Lord, we thank you again for the scripture that is before us and as Pastor Carr comes to share reflections and thoughts upon the passage may uh, may you speak to us through your holy spirit quicken our minds give us a desire to serve you and to get a glimpse of what lies ahead in jesus name we pray amen good morning i don't want to alarm you but it's snowing outside now, if that would concern somebody, if they didn't know Michigan weather, tomorrow will probably be 90 degrees. So. But the truth is, having the full grasp of something is important, isn't it? Just like understanding Michigan's weather, when we only understand aspects of things, it can ultimately be a detriment. Um, I think about this in relationship to watching sports. I remember taking my wife to a uh, big football game, happened to be a Michigan-Ohio State game, and I was still courting her at the time, and I wanted to show her my best, and so I took her to a Michigan football game. Unfortunately, I didn't warn her that she was going to be seated with 101,000 fans. We didn't get to stay that entire game, as she decided it was much too claustrophobic for her. To my detriment, I had to leave that game and go watch it on TV somewhere, but I remember that I've always warned her and reminded her she doesn't like Michigan Stadium, and so I can go with somebody else. <laughs> How often this is the case for each of us. We think we know someone, we think we know a situation until we are told more information, and all of a sudden we're given a little bit clearer, better understanding. In our text this morning, that's exactly the situation. Uh, the disciples thought they knew Jesus. In fact, Peter even gives a right confession of who Jesus is. He says he is the promised one, right? He understands that Jesus is the Messiah, and he acknowledges that. 
And that's a big deal, and that's not something to, to lightly read over in the text of Luke. But the fact that Peter makes his confession, yet this morning we read that Peter is yet rightly corrected further in his understanding of Jesus. He's given a fuller picture, a more complete picture of who Jesus is. Friends, how often our understanding of God and God's ways only comes piece by piece, moment by moment, day by day. Let's look at our text. In verse 28, it describes what is known as the transfiguration. It starts in verse 28. Now about eight days after saying, he took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Friends, the setting is that Jesus goes up to the mountain. There's a lot of debate about which mountain, but that doesn't matter. What it does tell us is that Jesus got alone to pray yet again. And this time he brings with him his inner circle, if you will, John, Peter, and James. And there they begin to pray. Jesus specifically prays. We later find out the rest of the disciples fell asleep. Now we're not surprised by that because we've seen that pattern in the ministry before. But Jesus is praying, and as he is praying, something big is about to happen. What's important to understand is every time Luke talks about prayer, Luke then connects it with a big event. That's important for our daily lives to understand the importance of prayer. When we pray, when we're gathered around prayer, something major happens. It happens in our lives. It happens in our understanding. It happens in our relationship with Christ. And it happens in the events that unfold around us. Something important always happens in prayer. And this event was no different. There they were on the mountain and Jesus' appearance changed. We're told as he was praying, his face was altered. His clothes were become dazzling white. The key here is that Jesus' appearance changed. His glory was now being made known. Who he was in his fullness was being pictured. But there were two others with him speaking. We're told that it was Moses and Elijah. Interesting enough, this represents the law and the prophets. Moses representing the law that he received on Mount Sinai. Elijah representing the prophets in the school of prophets. There they are talking with Jesus. And Luke actually tells us what they're talking about. It says they're talking about his departure. Another word for that, actually the literal word for that in the Greek is exodus. We'll get back to that in a moment. But I want to pause here and just say... We need to understand something about the Old Testament saints. The first is, just like Moses, just like Elijah, just like Abraham, which the book of Romans and Galatians tells us a lot about, they were all saved the same way we are. They were saved by faith in the promised Messiah. They looked forward to him coming. We look back at what he has accomplished. But everyone is saved by faith in Christ. That's why Jesus could say with boldness, no one goes into the Father but by me. 
Jesus made it very clear that he and he alone was the way of salvation. Faith in the Messiah was necessary. The gospel was first mentioned, in fact, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, talking about the seed of the woman, the promised one, who would crush the head of the serpent. Again and again, the Old Testament saints longed for that Messiah. They looked for him. Their faith was in him. How excited Moses and Elijah must have been there on that mountain as they talked with Jesus. They talked about salvation, the salvation that he alone provides. They were talking about his departure, his exodus. What an interesting word to use, his exodus, especially in relationship to the fact that Moses is there, the one who took the people of God through the wilderness, leaving Egypt at the wilderness, at the exodus. We see here in the exodus is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of freedom, freedom from bondage. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see the word or the depiction of the Exodus used again and again and again to encourage the people of Israel. The Exodus was mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. And every time it was mentioned to encourage the people and remind them that the Lord redeemed them. He saved them from their bondage. We see it in places like Luke 6. We see it in Psalms, like Psalm 139. Again and again, the Exodus was a major event of God's saving his people. And here now, it's associated with Jesus, the one in whom everyone is truly saved. The Exodus is being applied to Christ, to his departure for us, his deliverance for us who are found in him. Friends, how exciting it must have been for Moses and Elijah to be gathered with Jesus. So I ask you this morning, how excited are we about Jesus? How excited are we about Jesus and his work, the freedom he has purchased for us? Does it truly bring us joy? Or have we gotten so used to it because we've been in the faith so long, it doesn't even really give us the tingles anymore. We can sing songs or we can read scripture and it almost leaves us unfazed. That should never be the case. Engaging with the Lord and the truth of salvation should always magnify him and encourage us. That's the reality of what the good news of the gospel declares. Joy, freedom, salvation, hope. And that's what Jesus has given us. So friends, I ask us, do we truly understand all that has been accomplished for us in Christ? Do we understand the freedom each one of us has been given from sin, from shame, from guilt, from bondage? This is what Jesus provides. For in Christ, we are truly set free. He is, in fact, our exodus. Isn't that what Paul wrote in Galatians 5.1 when he said, for freedom, Christ has set us free? Therefore, we're not to submit again to the yoke of slavery, not to give in to temptation, not to find our way bondaged into sin and temptation, but through Christ, we have freedom. This should bring joy. This should bring happiness. Just like for Moses and Elijah, the freedom that's found in the exodus of Christ. But note the uh, reactions. First, the reaction of the disciples. As already stated, they'd been sleeping. 
They, they couldn't even pray with Jesus. Their minds wandered. They became sleepy. It was dark. It was late. Whatever it was, it was too much for them to carry on. So there they were sleeping, but soon they would be awakened to the glorified Jesus as he talks to these two men, Moses and Elijah. What's interesting is we're told Peter's reaction. Peter notices these two men as he wakes from his slumber, and he says, Master, it is good we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Notice the term he uses, tent. It's the same Old Testament idea of tabernacle. We remember the Feast of Tabernacles, where the people would actually sleep outside in huts to remember their time in the wilderness and God's provision for them. We remember the great tabernacle that was built where the glory of God descended and resided. Or how about when John talks in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt, or actually the word means tented or tabernacled amongst us. That idea wasn't just that Jesus was here temporarily, but that the glory of God came down. And there the glory of God could be found in Christ. He was amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the depiction of the tabernacles. And here is the words that are stumbling out of a quickly awakened Peter. Lord, it is good that we are here. Let us make tents. Let us make tabernacles. One for each of you, he says. Luke describes in verse 33 that Peter really didn't know what he was saying. Maybe it was because he was just waking up. Maybe it was because he fully didn't understand what was really taking place. But the point is, the disciples didn't understand. And in saying this, Peter makes two great mistakes. The first is he mistakenly made Moses and Elijah equal with Jesus. See, Peter treated them as though they all deserved the same honor. Three separate tabernacles. Three separate tents. Friends, how often do we do the same thing? Giving glory, God's glory, to another. How often have we robbed God of His glory, His splendor, His honor? See, Peter makes this mistake just one week after he confessed Jesus to be the Christ. Just one week after he acknowledged Jesus not to be Elijah, but greater than Elijah. How easy it is for us to slip into the same mistake. We can confess with our mouth what we believe, but somehow in our heart, it's twisted, it's misunderstood. We lack faith, we lack understanding. That wasn't the only mistake Peter made. Peter also made the mistake of not understanding the timing of the everlasting glory. See, I believe Peter, by wanting to make those tents or those tabernacles, was trying to capture that moment, probably angry at himself that he fell asleep in that time. He missed some of it, and so he wanted to capture it. He wanted to make this tent where Moses and Elijah and Christ could dwell, and the glory would be known, and others maybe could come and see it and experience it for themselves. How often we want to stay in that mountaintop experience. 
Like at summer camp, when we bring the kids back and they say, my life's forever changed and I'm going to stay this way forever. Oh, how I wish it were true. But those times glean away, don't they? We as adults experience it in a spiritual conference that we attend or a revival experience where we had personally an awakening we experienced. We thought, this is the best. I want to capture it and hold on to it forever. But it slowly leaks away. See, that's because the already isn't the not yet. See, we need to understand that what they were experiencing there was to see the glory of God in a picture, but Jesus still had work to do. His work was that he would suffer, that he would die. After all, he explained this to the disciples in verse 22, that he must suffer rejection and even death on the cross. Friends, we must understand that like Peter, we have misunderstandings. We make mistakes. We need God's help to truly see. And we need God's understanding and leaning and, and guiding us and helping us to fully see what is revealed in Christ. The question comes down to how are we continuing to grow in Christ? God promises to use his word. God promises to use his church and the fellowship of the saints. God promises to use prayer. He promises to even use the sacraments as they stir in us a reminder of what Christ has done. The Lord's table, his death, baptism, the washing. He uses these things to strengthen our faith and to create for us a greater understanding. But are we clinging to them? Are we learning from them? Do we understand all that they offer us in teaching us of who he is? But friends, this wasn't the only reaction. There's a greater reaction of the Father that comes. Look at, as the verse continues, it says, a cloud came and overshadowed them. This is a picture of the glory cloud. It's a depiction of God's presence, like that at the temple or at Mount Sinai. In fact, it's kind of interesting that here, Jesus with the three is on top of a mountain, just as Moses was on top of a mountain. Very similar situations. And at both those situations, they're given the revelation of God. At Sinai, they were given the Ten Commandments. And here, they're given the revelation of who Jesus is. But with that cloud came a voice. It wasn't enough that the cloud was present. The voice came, and the voice said, This is my Son. Notice that. It's emphasizing the fact of Jesus' unique identity. That Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the Son of God. This is what was promised back in Psalm 2, verse 7, when it said, The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. The promise of one who would come, the one all the Old Testament saints looked for, the promised one, the Son of God. But He wasn't just simply the Son of God. He was, in fact, as God the Father said, the chosen one, emphasizing Jesus' role as the promised one, fulfilling Isaiah 42, 1, where it said, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth, notice this, justice to the nations. When Jesus comes and Jesus brings the perfect scales of justice Receiving the wrath of God for sin, not his own, but for those who trust in him. Balancing the scales so that we don't have to receive that justice. 
And yet talking of yet another time when Jesus would return and judge the world, bringing perfect peace and perfect justice. This was, in fact, Jesus' chosen one. Jesus Christ is him. And so what are the disciples to do with this revelation? The Father says, listen to him. Listen to him. Friends, you are to believe him. Believe not only who Jesus says he is, but what he says he has come to do. We are to believe that Jesus came to suffer and to die for sin. And we need to understand that we need to listen to him, for this is a repeated phrase throughout the Gospels. Listen to Christ. Listen to me. Jesus more correctly tells people the right perspective of who he is and why he came. The writer of Hebrews says it a little differently. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But listen to verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. We're to listen to Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus has come to declare the good news for all who would trust in him. Commentator Dale Ralph Davies points out, we have much progress to make in knowing what kind of Christ we believe in. We must always let Jesus define himself. We must quit casting Jesus into our own image of what we want him to be. We must listen to Jesus. There's nothing worse than when somebody else tells you who you are. No one enjoys that. It's much better when we can declare who we are. How much more important is it that Jesus declares who he is? May we listen. Are we listening? Friends, what does Jesus look like to you? I'm not just talking about his appearance, but who he is. Why he came. Are you reading and studying the Bible? Are you applying God's word to your life? Are you a doer of the word or just a hearer? Are you believing what the Bible says? Are you trusting who Jesus is and why he said he came? See, here's the point. It kind of ends there at verse 27. Excuse me, at verse 37. 36, let's get it right. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. I think part of the reason they didn't tell is they still were trying to understand. They were still trying to wrap their mind around who this Jesus really is. They've seen him calm the storms. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him feed the 5,000. They've seen now the Father in a cloud declare, he is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Friends, I draw your attention to the response of the disciples in verse 36. It says they kept silent. They kept silent. And we're told that Jesus 
was alone. Friends, the scene closes with the disciples standing and Jesus there alone. We're told that they kept silent. Friends, all of us have been part of those special moments where you don't want to ruin it with words. Maybe it's a Christmas memory where you're gathered as a family around the table and as an older person, you just step back and you just take in the scene of the grandchildren and the, and the smiling faces. And just for a moment, you want to hold it. We don't want anyone to say anything. We just want to enjoy it for that moment. I believe that's the situation of the disciples. They just remain silent. And they saw Jesus standing there alone. See, Jesus was the focus. And the disciples shut their mouths. Jesus is the point. Jesus is what matters. All the way back in the 1500s, the church was going through a reformation. It wasn't just happening in Germany. It was happening all, all over the world, the, the, especially the Western world. And as that reformation was happening, five solas were to emerge. These solas were basically the doctrines that the reformation was built upon. They pertain to things such as scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone. But at the center of them all is Christ alone. See, the reformers understood that salvation was found in none other. It wasn't found in indulgences wasn't found in confession, going to repeated confessions and admitting your sins over again and over again. It wasn't found in penance. Ultimately, salvation is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And friends, as we gather here this morning, we must be assured that Jesus is the sole object of salvation Jesus is the only source of hope for all of us. Jesus is it. No longer can we trust in anything other than Jesus. The truth is, according to this text, we all need reformation at time, from time to time. We need reformation of our personal understanding in churches at times that need reformation publicly. Reformation is something we need to pursue regularly as we easily stray from Christ being alone. We add things to Christ or we take parts of Christ away so that we can make him more manageable, more understandable, more like our understanding. But all of that is wrong for Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior. Jesus is our only hope. There's a famous hymn it's called In Christ Alone. I draw you to the second verse. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on the cross, as Christ died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Friends, is that true for you? That in Christ, in Christ alone, you live. In Christ, in Christ alone, you find the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, in Christ alone, you find your absolute hope. See, this story of Revelation is a gift. It was a gift to the disciples, Peter, James, and John. 
It was a gift to the church to later understand that Christ is the Son of God. He is the chosen one. He had come to fulfill all that was promised. But most importantly, to show us that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way of salvation. Friends, if there was room for Peter to be corrected, Peter who made a correct confession of Jesus, how much room is there in our lives to be corrected in who Jesus is? May we be students of the word. May we be faithful to all that God declares. And where we're out of alignment, may we correct and be corrected so that we can be silent and enjoy the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this text, may we see the glory and the splendor of Jesus. May we cling to him. May we love him. May we find in him all the joy that can be known. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.